Welcome to Pull Up a Seat. I'm John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by Matt Feld. Matt, what's going on, man? What's going on? How are you? Well, I'm doing okay. I can't complain. As I always remind you, people stop listening. They really don't care what I have to say. That's right. That's right. No one cares about complaining. Uh, no one cares about whining unless you're on my Twitter feed. Then they care. <laughs> yes. Well, you're a very popular man on Twitter. That's the difference between me and you. My takes don't always go over so well. Your takes are informative. People actually go to your Twitter handle to be informed. They go to my Twitter handle to either be annoyed or to crap all over my <laughs> Well, I mean, I think the good thing about it is what everything's going on recently is my takes have been uh, either been praised or uh, I'm being accused of shutting down false sports, even though I've got no say in the matter. So, uh, right. really, I can't win. <laughs> you dastardly human being, you. Yeah. Yeah, you've right, canceled right the season. Right. Yeah. yeah, let's get right into it with the icebreaker. I'll go first. The NBA disaster in Orlando. It seems like we've talked about it the past few weeks, but... What entertained me about the NBA disaster in Orlando this week is two things. One, the number of players that opted out continues to rise because they're getting so many positive coronavirus tests. But the other thing is the food. Some of the players have been tweeting out pictures of the meals that they've gotten uh, at their Disney hotels. And it looks like something out of a gas station. It looks like something that you would buy at some, some chintzy convenience store. I mean, th these are your, your most precious commodities as a league, your players, your players are the only reason people even care about your league. And instead of actually feeding them a real meal, you decided that you were going to go to your local mobile, pick up some Lunchables, pick up some chips, Stacy's pita chips, nonetheless, pick up some, some old sandwiches, cut them up, put them on a tray and send them up to their room. This is ridiculous to me. And this speaks to how this whole attempt to play sports is so botched. And it's not just the NBA. You're seeing it in other sports. In Major League Baseball, it, there's there's three or four teams that came out last week and said that they hadn't been tested in multiple days. Testing companies aren't showing up. It's a disaster. I don't know if we're going to get sports off or not. It appears that we're going to, but who knows what it's going to look like. Who knows if they're even going to finish the season. But the NBA right now, to me, takes the cake for being – for being the most disastrous of all of these leagues in terms of what's going on right now, because between players not playing and the crap they're serving them for food, it's not looking good in Orlando for the National Basketball Association. I don't really like crapping on Stacy's pita chips. I think they're pretty good with some hummus, but overall, I, I would say that overall, I would I would have to agree that watermelon that they ate looked like it was like freaking grown out of like my, my garden, uh, and I don't even have a garden. <laughs> Uh, I live in an apartment building. Uh, you know, I wonder what they got for breakfast. Just probably plain Cheerios. Jason Tatum, like, you know, put on Instagram, his Instagram story last night, like some sort of tacos that he was trying to assemble. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know what they're trying to do down there. Uh, you know, they can't like freaking splurge the 50 bucks for player for a freaking, you know, medium rare right, steak. This is a multi-billion dollar league. And this is, the, and this is the shit you're feeding your players? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I couldn't believe it. I can't believe it. Uh, players are testing positive left and right, as you mentioned. Um, look, I'm still a believer. I'll see sports this year. You know, I'll believe that there's sports this year when I see it. Um, you know, Red Sox, other, you know, professional teams are now playing these inter-squad games in their facilities with no fans um, as they try to get ready for the season. The NHL just finally agreed um, to a startup date the other day. I believe July 26th is when camp is going to start up. might be the 29th. Um 
So, no, across the board, I think it's a disaster. Um, you know, you're slowly having college football teams which, go by the which, wayside. By the way, not to cut you off, but the NHL might be best positioned of all these leagues because at least Canada has done a pretty decent job of managing COVID-19, and their cases have gone down nationwide. Now, granted, there's only 33 million people there and 330 million people here. I think that matters. But the NHL might be best positioned, despite the fact that they've had a large number of players test positive for COVID-19, they might be in the best spot in terms of getting started and actually finishing the season. Yeah, definitely. I would uh, I would agree with that. And again, I, I still maintain, again, I, I would be shocked if these teams are able to finish the season. I don't know how that's going to work. Baseball's in a unique circumstance, too. I think not having a bubble and actually playing in home facilities with no fans could actually pay dividends. They're going to limit the travel, of course, um, based on geography, um, which also might help out in the long run. But obviously, baseball's having problems making sure players are getting tested on time. So, no, it's a disaster across the board. Um, you know, no one, anyone who thought that this was going to go seamlessly is incredibly nice. But time is kind of running out now. Um, and if these teams can't kick off when they say they're going to kick off, uh, they probably have no hope for sports this year at all. So the next couple of weeks are crucial. And uh, and again, there's a lot of things that need to be ironed out and moved seamlessly um, because right now player, players are dropping left and right. They're having to quarantine left and right. Camps are being shut down. Uh, players are not being fed a, a full meal. I, I, I could be wrong. I don't think LeBron James' stomach gets full after pita chips, watermelon, and a salad. Um, <laughs> so to me, I think it's a, I think it's a yeah, clown show. Falafel at the guy. Let him have something nutritious that could fill him up so that he can go play basketball. Yes, that's right. So, what's your icebreaker? My icebreaker has to do with Ivy League football. Ivy League football, of course, the Ivy League, of course, um, coming out to now that they're going to be no fall sports. In fact, they're not even going to entertain any sports um, until January 1st. There's some rumors that they're going to try and play football in the spring. I don't really know how that works. I don't know how you just show up, play football in the spring, take a month off, and then show back up in camp for the following season. I don't know if anyone's thought that through. Uh, but to me, uh, you know, it's just the first sign. You know, they were the first league back in the early, late winter, early spring to cancel spring sports um, in the remainder of the spring season, as well as the Ivy League basketball tournament. Um, and I'll be interested to see if they pave the way for other leagues here. I don't think other leagues are moving football to the spring. I think other leagues are going to either play in the fall or they're not going to play at all. Those high-level programs are simply too big at the Division One level to simply move fall sports to the spring. There's other crap I know that goes on in the spring. If you play LSU, you know, LSU baseball from a revenue standpoint obviously is in football's level, but it's a huge sport there. There's no way they're having football and baseball going on at the same time in the spring. That's just not going to happen. So I think this is a big week or two for football conferences. You're already seeing teams make adjustments, conferences make adjustments, Big Ten going um, to all league games, ACC not starting until at least September 1st for games, um, and they're exploring different options. So I think it's, uh, I think this is just the first step and I think you're gonna see other conferences fall suit again, not maybe necessarily cancel their seasons outright, but I think you're having huge adjustments to the schedule uh, coming up in the next week or two. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, and the way I look at it is there's no way logistically you can play in the spring. They can tell themselves all they want that they think they can, but they don't, first of all, many of these schools, whether it be the Ivy league or even the bigger programs, you got to look at this from a logistics facility standpoint. Right. You don't have the field space to play a fall season and a spring season simultaneously at the same time. So I, I, I don't see it happening. I, in fact, I don't see the Ivy League playing again until 2021, fall of 2021. They're not going to play in the spring. I, I don't see how they could make it work because the Ivy League schools have even less field space and facilities at their disposal at their disposal rather than those other programs do at, at the FBS level. So it, it's not a surprise to me. The only thing I will say is this. 
even though it wasn't a surprise to me, I didn't agree with the decision. And the reason I didn't agree with the decision to cancel fall sports in the Ivy League was the Northeast is the one part of the country right now that seems to have this thing under control. All of your schools are located in the Northeast. I don't think it would have been a bad thing to try to play. You don't play in front of fans. And with all due respect to the Ivy League programs, and I love them and I cover them on my football blog, but the fact of the matter is they don't draw great crowds anyway. But I, it, it, with all due respect, in my opinion, I think they should have tried to play, play with no fans, and get the season in. The fact that they, that they pulled the trigger as quick as they did on July 8th, I thought was interesting. I also thought it might have been a little bit of fear mongering on their part and that they felt like, oh, no, we don't want, you know, we don't want, quote unquote, blood on our hands. If we bring students back and athletes back and we get a spike, we don't want that on us. I have a real problem with that because, again, I think they could have played if they chose to take a more a, a more measured approach, but they chose not to. To your point. They were the first conference to scrap their basketball tournament, to scrap the spring season. Heck, if you go back a couple of years, the Ivy League was the first conference to scrap padded practices for football. So they've always been at the forefront, if you will, of making these decisions. I'm not sure I agree with the decision. All right, we're going to switch gears here now. And I want to get into some politics here, our favorite topic. Uh, Of course, 4th of July was last weekend. Both Joe Biden, Donald Trump gave speeches. Just want to get your thoughts real quick on both of them. Uh, they were drastically different. Okay, here you have Trump at the at the base of Mount Rushmore, and, and, and it is the epitome of a nationalist pro-American speech. And then you have Joe Biden, I don't know, hunkered down in one of his finished basement rooms, giving some speech about how our country is is not equal and how people have suffered and how there needs to be societal change and all this stuff. So before I fully give you my take on the whole thing, what did you think of both of these speeches? Well, first of all, I'm going to come out and say that no one is watching was watching either of these speeches. It's the first of all, Trump's speech was the night of July 3rd, and I don't know about most people, but my friends go out on the night of July 3rd. Uh, it's bigger than the fourth, so I don't think a lot of people were watching him give the speech. I think people saw the reaction to the speech uh, and saw highlights of the speech, but I don't think anyone was sitting at home watching the speech. Um, And I think it's the same thing for Biden. Biden's was on social media. So from that standpoint, people probably saw it more live in real time, um, which might have been a different, you know, which is which, again, you know, you're now playing to different types of people. I think you kind of summed it up well. Trump's speech was very nationalist, uh, way more nationalist, I should say, way more of kind of. you know, uh, you know, it was kind of he gave the speech in front of Ron Rushmore and really talked about the statues on um, and kind of, you know, the, the radical agenda to kind of topple statues of people like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and and Thomas Jefferson, whereas Biden's speech talked about more um, about acknowledging some mistakes that Jefferson specifically made with having slaves and how um, we're still striving to be, you know, all men are created equal, um, as outlined, um, in our founding documents. So to me, it was definitely a contrast of speeches. I think, you know, we can tie this into the broader general election overall in terms of, you know, what strategies are working, what strategies aren't working. Um, I think Trump is trying to figure out a message that does work. Well, right now, Biden is just trying to, um, kind of go along because, you know, currently right now, Biden's in a position where as long as he doesn't screw up and say anything wrong, he's probably well on his way to winning the election. So Trump's trying to figure out the message that works. He thought that was a good place to do it, a good place to have it. Um, I don't think anyone right now remembers the speech. I don't think remembers any, anyone remembers either speech. People probably don't even remember that there was 
was a speech. Um, and again, that's just about timing. Um, it's really hard to give any sort of assertive campaign speech on July 3rd um, or even July 4th for that matter. People are out and about and a lot, you know, and I just think it's a really tough time to get your message across across the board. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I look, I think Trump's speech was a typical Trump speech. I, I think it was a, a speech that played to his base, to his supporters, to the people that voted for him in 2016. Um, I don't think he said anything wrong in the speech. I don't think that there was anything uh, earth-shattering about his speech. I think it was a pretty typical Donald Trump speech. I think Joe Biden's speech was full of bull poop. Um, I, one of the things that really, really bothers me about the left, and this is why Joe Biden, to me, is, is, is a paperweight in many ways, um, for one, what? who cares? Look, I'm, and I'm going to put this out there, and I'm going to say it, and you know what the hell with it. Okay, so George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were slave owners. Yeah, we knew that. We knew that. Why does that matter in 2020? Why the hell hasn't it mattered for the last 245 years? Or I'll, I'll take it a step further. Forget about when they owned slaves. Why hasn't it mattered for the last 50 to 100 years? So up until 2020, up until May 25th, 2020, mind you, we revered these men, despite the fact that they were slaveholders. Now, all of a sudden, we're using them as political pawns in this game of pursuing equality in our country. Because all of a sudden now, pursuing equality is at the forefront when it should have been at the forefront from the very beginning. Because after all, that our forefathers talk about it in many of our founding documents, but our country hasn't lived up to that promise. But here we are in 2020 now, all of a sudden talking about the possibility of taking down Mount Rushmore and the Washington Monument because our most revered American figure was a slaveholder. Because another one of our revered American figures, Thomas Jefferson, was a slaveholder. Yes, shame on them that they were. And it is a sin. And you know what? I don't look at them necessarily the way everyone else does. I don't necessarily hold them in that high regard. I think my issue is now... If the Democrats and the left think that they can win this election on revisionist history, I think it's foolish. I think it's foolish because I'll tell you right now, Matt, I don't think most Americans want to see Mount Rushmore come down. I don't think they do. I think most Americans would tell you, yeah, it's a shame that they were slaveholders. Shame on them. They should have known better, but they were also products of their time. And in their time, right or wrong, and it was wrong, it was acceptable that they were slaveholders. So I... You know, again, I'm with you. I don't think that either speech moved the needle. I don't think it's going to help either campaign necessarily. I think these guys are what they are. I mean, I think most of the country has come to the realization that we're stuck between a rock and a hard place between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Neither candidate is appealing. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think you're going to see a larger voter turnout in 2020 than you did in 2016. But I would not be surprised if you saw more write-in candidates in 2020 than you did in 2016, because that's how I think people feel about both of these candidates. Now, staying with this speech, and I want to focus specifically on Trump's speech. What is your what, what are your thoughts or your reaction to the media's reaction on the speech, which I think has been completely over the top and stupid? But go ahead. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think a big thing is, is that, you know, the third or fourth of July, um, and I know some outlets cover this and I happen to agree with it, you know, where I, it's obviously a national holiday on the verge of a national holiday. We're undergoing a national pandemic um, in which over 140,000 people have died. We're well on our way to 200,000 deaths when it's all said and done. Um, you know, obviously surges in cases across the country, um, particularly in the South. 
Um, but really now starting in almost every state in the country, we're seeing a rise in cases. Um, and the fact that there was really no mention of the pandemic in any way, shape or form in his holidays, in his speech um, on the 3rd or 4th of July, to me, was pretty crazy and pretty insane. Um, you know, as the president of the United States, you're supposed to, some, again, once again, for the 900th time, be some sort of guiding and leader, leading force, some line of way to kind of assure people, make people feel better, help, assure them the help is on the way. Um, and the fact that throughout this speech on the 3rd or 4th of July, he did not even once really mention the pandemic or kind of assuage people's feels who have lost loved ones, lost jobs, um, you know, to me is, a, is another major, you know, a major scar on the back. And I think that's where most of the media coverage was in terms of what he said. I mean, like you said, it's another Trump speech. Um, no one should be surprised by anything that specifically that he said. Um, and if you're still surprised by stuff that he says, well, you've just woken up from a five-year coma. Um, so that's all I can tell about that. In terms of the coverage, though, in terms of him not talking about the pandemic, yeah, no, I'm, I was, I also found that pretty abhorrent myself. I, I don't know how you, again, as the president of the United States, you have all this going on on the day of the national holiday. You don't really talk about it um, when it's just something that's involved in everyone's life at the moment. But no, overall, in terms of the content and the specifics of the speech, look, if you're still freaking out every time he says something, you need a freaking life because this is just who the guy is and that's just the way it is. Yeah, I thought the media's coverage of his speech was absurd. I thought it was ridiculous. If you didn't know any better, you would have thought he, he quoted Mein Kampf in the speech. I mean, it's ridiculous. And, and the media in this country sucks. Flat out, they suck. Look, I don't care that he didn't mention the pandemic. To be quite honest with you, Matt, I could care less that he didn't mention it. And I'm tired of this whole narrative that he's not empathetic and he's not sympathetic. That that doesn't matter. At the end of the day... Oh, it matters. No, you are wrong. No, you are dead wrong. wrong. You, you are dead wrong. No. If he's empathetic. You, you might not get... No, you're dead wrong. I have friends who've been sick, who have lost jobs, who give a ton of crap that the president doesn't give two shits about them. That's wrong. Well, now, well, shame you on might them not if they think that the president would have cared about them, whether it's Donald Trump, Barack Obama, or anyone else. Well, uh, again, there, it means something when at least it looks like the president cares about you. Now, I might not care. I've had no one personally affected by it. You're right. I don't care right or wrong because I want the guy to run the country. But for the people that have lost jobs, it does matter whether the president looks like they care is just a fact right but but i don't think but i don't think that that speech was the the place for him to show that empathy and that caring and and guess what that ship has sailed he hasn't done it up until this point so i don't think any of us are surprised that he's not doing it so at that point i don't even think it's a talking point at this point because it's who he is the bottom line is that the, the reason i even broached the subject is i think the media's coverage of the whole thing was stupid and it just reinforces why you can't trust the media in this country. Even though I, as much as it bugs me, because I think that's a right-wing tinfoil talking point, that the media is evil and against him, and I don't necessarily agree with the idea that they're against him, they're not exactly informing us either. Because, look, so he gave a 4th of July speech on the base of Mount Rushmore. Big deal. Who cares? So what? You know what? It's the 4th of July. Sorry now that our country all of a sudden since May 25th is an evil place. Sorry, it's an evil place now. What do you want me to tell you? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I agree with you that I think he should have been more empathetic, more caring to the people that have lost loved ones to, to COVID. But he hasn't done that, really. He hasn't done that in a long time. He barely did it when the whole thing started. So I just think, to me, what it comes down to is I'd like some more fair and balanced coverage. Unfortunately, you're not going to get it in this country because that's not the way this country works. Now, I'm going to shift gears here now. And this is where he doesn't get it. This is where our president doesn't get it. He inexplicably decides at the beginning of this week to go after Bubba Wallace. Any explanation for that? Explanation for it. And I'm now, unfortunately, forgetting 
something had happened the night before that might have had been not, it wasn't a Joe Biden slip up, but it might have been a Democratic slip up. It might have been the Tammy Duckworth thing, which I know we'll get to in a second. Um, and sure enough, instead of now going on about Tammy Duckworth and maybe trying to tie her and, you know, somehow trying to tie it in, into a larger family of the Democratic Party, he decides to go after head on. Reading his mind. Um, I suppose. And I don't understand it. Um, getting rid of the Confederate flag is not a partisan issue. It's not an electorate issue. The Mississippi State Legislature, which is about as Republican as you can get in this country, just voted to take down the Confederate flag. So you are very in the minority if you're going to rip NASCAR um, for low ratings, quote, which of course was not true. The ratings for NASCAR last weekend were actually up 8% um, for, taking down the, for taking down the Confederate flag. That, to me, is ridiculous. Um, and again, I don't know how that you think that's a winning issue. I think right. people had most forgotten like again across the country about the Bubba Wallace situation and now you're going to bring them back by going after him uh yeah I don't get it uh I don't understand how you're going to try and win an election if you're going to make the election about going after Bubba Wallace and being mad that they of the flag decision I'm trying to think once again that you're sabotaging your own campaign yeah it just further proves that he has no concept of how to be a politician that he's not nuanced enough and that's it's really as simple as that he's not as nuanced as he needs to be I don't think members of his cabinet are. I don't think his family is. I just don't think they get it. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's a losing issue. Why even go after the guy? Who cares? And anybody that supports the idea of the Confederate flag still existing in this country clearly has their head up their ass. They lost. And it represents, I don't care that it was their battle flag. What it represents is wrong. So the bottom line is, I could care less about the Confederate flag. It shouldn't have existed as long as it has. Okay. Yeah. End of story. So why are you even willing to, to climb that hill? And to a certain degree, why are you even willing to die on that hill if you're Donald Trump? That's not a talking point right now. What people want is answers when it comes to COVID and the economy and how we're going to, to bring equality and social reform and peace and stability back to our country. Those are the things that people care about. They don't want to rehash something that happened two weeks ago and put to bed. So, and again, he did it the weekend that Biden made the comment, the you ain't black comment, okay? Instead of just backing off and letting Biden have to stumble his way through explaining himself for three or four days, no, he had to dig up the Joe Scarborough thing when Scarborough was a representative in Florida about the, the, the dead intern. Like, he just doesn't understand. I don't think the guy I agree. I, I really don't well, think yeah. the guy gets it. And and it's going to cost him, if he even cares, assuming he even cares about being reelected. It's going <laughs> to cost him. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, again, the, the Confederates lost, like you said, and I can't think of anything more un-American than, like, wanting to hang the flag of the people that were trying to burn this flag. Right. So, yeah, it makes it no sense make, to me. It makes no sense to me at all. Now, I do want to shift gears here now. Uh, we've talked about this before we recorded the whole Tucker Carlson, yep. uh, Tammy Duckworth slap. And, and look, here's the thing. Tucker Carlson, I like Tucker Carlson. I know he's on the right. I know that he, he works for Fox. I know that he represents a certain, uh, you know, political yeah. group in this country. I get all that. But I do like the fact that he's, he's willing to take chances on his program. He's willing to call people out. And I will give him credit for this. He has called people out on both sides of the aisle. In recent he has. Years. It's not just Democrats. So, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. And that's why he has the number one show on television right now in, in terms of the 18 to 49-year-old demographic because I think he's honest to a degree and I think he's willing to call it like he sees it. I don't, however, agree with him on this whole Tammy Duckworth thing because 
while I don't agree with Tammy Duckworth, the politician, or her position on statues and monuments, to say that essentially she has she hasn't accomplished anything in her career, she hasn't done anything. I, I I don't know how you could say that when the woman lost two legs fighting for this country. That that blew my mind. But what are your thoughts on his comments? Yeah, I mean, I thought Tommy Tammy Duckworth's comments were stupid and ill-advised, and I think she was trying to figure out a way to dance around the issue and be, you know, one of these people who will listen to everybody. And you know, I probably don't agree with it. You know, I, I don't believe that Tammy Duckworth is for taking down George Washington statues or something in her political bio that would make me think that she's one of, that she's someone that supports that. But she wants to be someone that's appeasing them, so she's like, oh, I'll have the dialogue. That was just dumb. Um, but for Tucker Carlson to go after her then the night after, I think that was Sunday, she gave the comments. Then she, he went after her on Monday. He went after her on Wednesday again, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, no, he didn't back down. He went after her after the fact. In fact, they invited her on his show and she, her reps refused to to right. uh, to acknowledge the invitation. I did see that segment. Yeah, for him to say what he said I thought was really disappointing. Um, I thought it looked like someone who was pretty much upset and crying about it. Um, you know, saw you know that she hates America and that she's not impressive. Look, you don't have to agree with Tammy Duckworth politically. Heck, I know that there's a fact that I don't agree with. You know, seventy-five or eighty percent of the stuff that Tammy Duckworth stands for. But Tammy Duckworth is, as a person, kind of everything that you want in someone. Um, she's of course biracial. Um, she's got a variety of different backgrounds across the board. She's brought those backgrounds to the United States Senate after serving, as you said, in Iraq, losing both her legs. She was a Purple Heart recipient um you know she she's pretty much been someone who has always stand up there um for veterans she's someone who's always had a leading voice um for members in the armed services she was a lieutenant colonel in the army she's a helicopter pilot um you know she, for, as a person she is not just impressive but as i said an american hero um and she did, they just honk. yeah right out my window thanks um she's an american hero and um and for me, that was just discouraging because it painted the picture of, um, as you and I have talked about this a lot, obviously conservatives are always trying to see themselves as very, very pro-military. Um, and I'm as pro-military as anyone in terms of the people. But being pro-military is not just a conservative idea. And to me, that's where you end up kind of, oh, yeah, you were, uh, you were a veteran, but you're not a conservative, so you actually don't kind of count in that respect. And to me, that was the disappointing thing. And in fact, Timmy Duckworth just wrote another op-ed either yesterday or this morning ripping Tucker Carlson um, and kind of his view of patriotism all over again. So to me, look, do I agree with everything Tammy Duckworth does politically? No, I thought her comments were stupid, but I thought Tucker, com Tucker Carlson's comments are way out of line. We should be, from a people standpoint, maybe not a politics standpoint, but from a people standpoint, we should want more people like Tammy Duckworth, not less of them. Yeah, yeah, provided that she's more sensible than she was. And I agree with you. I thought her comments were pretty stupid. I think they played to the pandering nature of the left and Democrats in general. And it's a shame because when you look at her record, she's been pretty down the middle. I mean, she's a moderate Democrat. And I think that's what made it really disappointing to me. But I couldn't agree with you more. And Tucker Carlson's comments to me were completely out of bounds to question her credentials, to question her in general, when she does have the credentials to be in the position she's in, to, to question whether or not she's done anything. I, I couldn't understand that for the life of me. And here's the other thing. Since when did the right corner the market on being an American patriotism? That's the other issue I have here. You mean to tell me that in today's world, the only way you could support your country and your military and love your country is if you're a conservative? If you're a gun-toting, Trump-supporting conservative? That's a bunch of bullcrap. It's nonsense. It's ridiculous. Unfortunately, though, 
this situation between these two people, I think, highlights the political divide that exists in our country. I agree. And I think that's that that to me is my biggest takeaway from this. It just goes to show you where we are right now as a country, that two people can do what they did this week, where he has this vitriolic response to her comments and they've gone back and forth and there's no happy medium that. And we talk about this all the time on this podcast, that the problem with American politics today is that both sides run to their respective corners, hurl insults at each other and don't actually accomplish anything. Right. Whereas if they actually attempted to meet more in the middle and actually use civil discourse and have some meaningful dialogue, they might find that they have some, some common ideas that can bring the country together. But nope, they don't want to do that. And so unfortunately, and I saw it more so this week than any other week, you're starting to see even a more a much wider gap between the two sides. Now all of a sudden with this whole thing with COVID and going back to school, now you got Republicans digging in, attacking teachers, attacking unions, whatever else. you got the other side now fear-mongering and, and, and playing up the idea that we can't go back to school and we need to remote learn and forget about the data and what it says. It's so ridiculous. And again, it speaks to the fact that there's no common ground in this country right now. And, and it's sad that he thought it was a good idea to attack a veteran who gave, who gave part of herself for her country. Even though what she said was stupid, what he said to me was even worse because there was no basis for it. You can disagree with her without attacking her personally. I do want to stick to this idea of commentary. And I want to, I want to shift gears here now. We're going to kind of move towards sports for the last part of the podcast for this week. And I want to talk about Deshaun Jackson's situation, we'll call it. Him him re- retweeting or sharing uh, a, a quote from Hitler. I, I was flabbergasted by this, to be honest with you. And I was flabbergasted for two reasons. I was flabbergasted, one, that he did it. The fact that this is a guy who is is in his mid-30s, you would think is in a, an intelligent adult that knows better with the cow, so you know he's smart. It blew me away that he did it, for one, but two, the reaction to it has also blown me away. What are your thoughts on this whole Deshaun Jackson? Yeah, I mean, what a clown show. I mean, I don't even know. Like, what an absurdity. Uh, What an idiot. What a dope. What a... I don't even know how else to describe it. I mean, really uh, absurd across the board. Anyone sticking up for him or not speaking out against it um, at that level to me is is as complicit as anyone else, just like they were. you would have been complicit. Um you know, in the whole, you know, Bubba Wallace thing, if, if that really actually, you know, it, you know, from a hate crime standpoint, to me, it's disgusting. It was abhorrent. Um, you know, he came out, the apology, had the conversation, the dialogue and all that crap. And it sounds like him and Julian Edelman are going to team up together to do some sort of education, you know, transformation type of ordeal. You know, something that, you know, something where the two words rhyme together and sound good. Um, I, I, I thought it was bad. I thought it was awful. I thought it was stupid. I thought it was insulting, um, across, you know, in so many levels. Um, I don't understand how these athletes or people in general who are above the age of 12 don't think before they hit the send button. I mean, you really have to type that out and hit tweet. It takes like four steps. You have to open the Twitter account, find it, copy and paste and hit tweet. I mean, at some point over those four steps, you have to freaking decide that that is not a good call. And I, 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 that is to me is just incredible. It's like you freaking forget to touch third base before going home on a home run trot. <laughs> I, I thought it was just a massive L and embarrassing. Deshaun Jackson's always been a fool. He's been the guy that like backs up and backtracks and backsteps into the end zone and then drops the ball at the one yard line. Freaking clown. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe that he did it. 
and, and it blew me away. Like, not for nothing, but I don't care what color you are, what nationality you are, what ethnicity you are. I think we can all universally agree that Adolf Hitler is the worst human being that ever lived. He's the worst person in history, okay? He, he takes the cake over Genghis Khan and over Joseph Stalin and over Mao and over anyone else you can think of. But what, what blew me away even more was the fact that there were other athletes from other leagues, retired athletes, most notably Steven Jackson, that came out and defended him. Right. He said that he's speaking the truth, and he starts babbling this nonsense about the Rothschilds and how they're the richest family in history. Look, even they okay, they are one of the richest families in history, and yes, they they developed banking. Okay, and and yes, Jewish people throughout their history have been financially successful. So what? Who cares? So what if they have power and influence? They've earned it in most cases. They've earned it. They shouldn't yeah. be targeted. And what happened to them during World War II and the Holocaust was abhorrent. And it should not only should it have never happened, we should hope that something like that never happens again. Because those poor people have gone through have gone through just as much throughout their existence as any other group of people in the history of mankind have. So to your point, first of all, he didn't think before he sent it out, for one. And two, the reaction to this has been so laissez-faire. I mean, when Drew Brees a month ago says that he's not taking a knee, that he's going to stand for the anthem, and he explains why he's doing it. He was discredited. He was attacked. He had to apologize multiple times. His character was called into question. Where's that same reaction for this? Which, by the way, I think this is worse than what Drew Brees said. And it has nothing to do with black and white. That's the reality. This is worse what Deshaun Jackson did than what Drew Brees said, which is I'm explaining to you why I'm standing for the national anthem. Now, I think Drew Brees in that moment could have done a better job of understanding the climate we're living in and showing his teammates that he's willing to support them. He could have said, yeah, I'm going to stand, but I fully support what they're doing. I'm behind him 100%. I support the Black Lives Matter movement. Whatever. Whether he does or he doesn't is not the point. I think that should have been his position. But what Deshaun Jackson did was worse. And then he comes out and he gives this half-ass apology and all is forgiven now. And now he, you know, Julian Edelman has, has brokered peace with him. And to your point, they're going to start some hokey-pokey initiative and everything's going to be great. Nah, we'll forget about it. It's just a footnote in history. It's just another athlete putting their foot in their mouth. I, I just – that bothers me just as much as what he did because I think he should have been held to a higher standard. He should have been held accountable. I think if you're an athlete or someone who's higher profile – you should be held to a high standard. We should all be held to a high standard, and he should have been smarter than that. And the fact that he wasn't is disappointing, but the fact that he also wasn't held accountable socially like Drew Brees was, I think is just as disappointing. All right, staying with sports here, I want to switch gears here and talk about the Redskins and Indians changing their names. So, two-part question for you, sir. One, what are your thoughts on them changing their nicknames? And two... What would you call them once their names have been changed? Names are a foregone conclusion. I think people understood the Redskins and Indians were well on their way to likely changing their names, particularly the Redskins. Um, you know, in terms of a name call, I mean, I, I don't know. I would, uh, Cleveland, I talk, you know what? No, get rid of all the mascots, 
get rid of mascots. This is a perfect impetus <laughs> to get rid of them all. Between the Walpole Rebels locally and the Braintree Womps maybe going by the board, uh, I've had enough of the mascots. I don't care about mascots. I used to like that seeing Mr. Met when I was like six walk around like an inflatable bobblehead. I don't care anymore. Uh, just be Cleveland, Cleveland, you know, Washington, you know, Washington, D.C.'s for all I care. Had enough of the mascot debate. It's annoying me. It's aggravating me. I get why some people um, obviously take some offense to it, specifically, you know, things like the Tomahawk, the tomahawk Shop. Um, you know, and, and things of that nature. Um, so and across the board, just make it easier for everyone. Get rid of the nicknames. Forget the nicknames. Um, you know, Dexter can be Dexter Academy. can just be Dexter. Uh, get rid of them all. I've had enough of it. And they're all going by the wayside anyway. Um, so who cares anymore? Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I think you're right. I think that they're, they're going to be changed. I think given the political climate we're living in right now, I think it's all finally caught up to Redskins owner Daniel Snyder. I don't think he can... He can stem the proverbial tide, if you will. Um, I think he can have all the internal meetings he wants. They're going to be changing their name probably in the next two weeks at some point. Same thing with the Indians. And I've been a, a lifelong Cleveland Indians fan. The Red Sox and the Indians have always been my two favorite teams. But I don't think simply getting rid of Chief Wahoo was enough. I think they're also going to have their to, to change their name. What they're going to change these names to I don't know. Warriors has been mentioned with the Redskins. I guess whatever that's cheesy and generic. Uh, Spiders has been mentioned with the Indians. That's what they used to be called before they became the Indians. Maybe they go back to that. Who knows? I'm sure somebody who who's into arachnids will be offended, and then that'll offend someone, and then they'll have to change it to something else. Who knows? Here's the only thing I will say about all this. If people took the time that they're putting into forcing these teams to change their names, and actually invested it in, in real Native Americans who are living on reservations, who are having a hard job, a hard time getting jobs, high unemployment, the, the educations aren't very good, they have a high suicide rate, high alcoholism rate. If people actually put the time into helping those people, whether it be uh, via making donations or working with them in their community, we would be a better country. Those people deserve to have the same opportunities as everyone else does in this country. So I, I'd rather see people put more time into helping actual Native Americans as opposed to going after Daniel Snyder and Dolan and the Redskins and the Indians. And let's not forget, in 2016, the Washington Post released a poll that said that 9 out of 10 Native Americans didn't care. Now, I'm not sure if 9 out of 10 Native Americans don't care about these nicknames, but here's the thing. It was the Washington Post. It's a liberal newspaper. It wasn't Fox. Uh, it wasn't the Daily Wire. It wasn't the Atlantic. It was the Washington Post. So I'm going to take it at face value. But I think we need to focus our efforts on helping Native Americans instead of focusing our efforts on going after Snyder and Dolan and changing these nicknames. That's going to happen anyway because the PC police wants it to happen. Let's redirect now those efforts into helping actual Native Americans. Now, I want to talk about Patrick Mahomes and this Megalodon contract he got from the Kansas City Chiefs. I believe it was 10 years 450 million. He's still got two years left on his rookie deal. The deal could be worth about as much as 503 million. Two part question here for you. One, do you agree with athletes getting these 10 year deals or more? And two, do you think he's worth it? I mean, is he really worth it? I know he's won a Super Bowl. I know he's only 25, but is he really worth this financial commitment long term? I don't believe in giving anyone 10-year contracts. They never work out. They've never worked out. No one's ever shown me a 10-year contract that's actually worked. Um, I think the Packers are still are probably already regretting the long contract they gave Aaron right, Rodgers. Right, that's why they're going to try to get out of it. Just, you don't want someone that. 
yeah, you don't want someone that around your team for that long, for that old. The contracts never hold up. The team players get injured. They want to get out of there. They don't like the coach. They don't like the ownership. People get upset at each other after eight, nine years. I don't believe in giving people 10 years contracts. In terms of whether he's worth the money, I think Mahomes is worth the money. I think he's a very special talent. He's the next generation, the next face of the league, um, already slowly becoming the face of the league. He's got a chance to win multiple Super Bowls. Uh, is he as valuable to the Chiefs as any player is to any organization right now? I don't think there's any question about it. Um, you know, again, 10 years from now, I'll probably have a different tune to myself. And that's why these contracts don't work. But in terms of whether he's worth the annual money that they're going to pay him for the next five, six years. Yeah, I think he's totally worth it because he's probably going to win another, at least one more, if not two or three more Super Bowls. So I have no problem with investing a lot of money in the guy, but I would never give anyone. Yeah, I, I look, I don't like the years either, but in order to make the money work, they have to go there. Right. They have to give him that length in order for him to get paid what he wants and, and what they perceive him to be worth. Uh, is he worth it? Yeah, I mean, he's worth it because the Chiefs are going to make that money back and then some in merchandise, ticket sales, and advertising. So I think that he's worth it from that standpoint. Is he going to win multiple Super Bowls? I, I Look, I would pull the reins on the pony on that a little bit. I'm not sure he's going to win multiple Super Bowls. Let's put it this way. I don't think he's going to be Tom Brady. Could he win three or four? Yeah, it's possible. One thing to keep in mind here is, is that he's going to take up about 19% of their cap. That's a big deal. Now, the NFL is a young man's game. It's a young man's league. So it's all about how well you draft, evaluate talent, scout talent, and turn the roster over. And that's why the Patriots have been so good for so long, because Belichick did a great job of that. If Andy Reid and, and Brett Veach can do that in Kansas City, keep the roster young, keep it turned over, and build around Mahomes, yeah, they could have long-term success. But when you start to commit money to different people long-term, that's when it doesn't work. They've committed to Mahomes. They've committed to, to Tyreek Hill. They've, they've committed to Travis Kelsey. They don't have a back that they need to commit to yet. But if Clyde Edwards-Elair ends up being the kind of player he could be, and he should be really good in that offense, he's a guy that they're eventually going to have to pay. Chris Jones, their defensive tackle, is asking for $20 million a year. He's going to be the first casualty of this Mahomes contract. They're not going to pay him. They're going to let him walk. And I know people are going to say, well, big deal. He's a defensive tackle. It is a big deal because you can build your defense around your middle linebacker and those two tackles, especially a defense like Steve Spagnuolo's, which relies on those players to be the centerpiece of his defense. And so I think to me, he's going to be the first casualty of that. They're not going to be able to pay him. and They're going to let him walk. And I think you're going to see a lot of that in the coming years in Kansas City. So it's going to be extremely important for them to keep the roster young and make sound financial decisions but to also make sound roster decisions and get pieces that fit with him and what they're looking to do there in Kansas City all right it's time for our final thought I want to get your thought on this uh, there was a story that came out at the beginning of the week that there was a memo sent out at the Boston Globe last week that essentially not necessarily in in certain terms it wasn't spelled out this way in writing but the whole gist of the memo, or part of the gist of the memo, I should say, is that next summer, the Globe will only be hiring minority interns. I have a real problem with this, because plain and simple, it's reverse discrimination. It's wrong. Okay? And, and in many ways, if we're going to start pulling this crap, then we're going backwards now. And we're going to end up back in the 60s, where you have reverse discrimination, where you have reverse segregation. And this country is going to start to be divided even further. And that's the last thing we can afford right now. What are your thoughts on this whole thing? And what do you think the outcome is going to be of it? Because 
the Globe is potentially lining themselves up to get sued here. Yeah, no, I, I was I was pretty floored by it all. Um, I thought it was a terrible decision. I thought the way it was worded was awful. Again, who knows whether they're actually going to follow through with that. Um, again, depending on how they word it, they certainly could be grounds for some sort of legal action. Um, you cannot mandate or hire people based on the color of their skin, the race. Um, it's supposed to be based off qualifications. Even if you don't actually do that, you cannot actually come out and say that. Um, to me, I was I could not believe it. Um, it was pretty incredible. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand why they thought that this was a good idea. I don't know why they think this is going to bring in the best talent across the board, the best way to get the best candidates. I thought it was something to try to get ahead of these these movements, of course, that are happening across the country to be popular. But of course, that was not what happened. Um, yeah, I really could not believe it. I agree with you. I think it's dangerous. It's a dangerous precedent dissent. Um you know, we should be certainly be opening the door and opening opportunities to more minorities and groups of color, um, females, um, where, you know, in industries that are more male dominated, if those opportunities are there. But to me, this is incredibly stupid and incredibly step in the wrong direction. Um, yeah, I, I didn't either. I didn't get it at all. Look, if you want to hire a, pre- a predominantly minority group of interns, then do it. But make sure it's a fair process that's inclusive and open to everyone. We've been fighting and railing against this in this country for years. And all of a sudden, we're going to make this an accepted practice, an accepted policy, where now we're going to tell white people whites need not apply. I thought we were better than that. I thought we had moved past that when that was happening to to African-Americans and other groups in this country. And by the way, that was happening to whites at the turn of the 19th and into the 20th century when they were being told not to apply at certain places. Irish need not apply. Italians need not apply. So I thought we were better than this. I think this is another example of, of corporate activism, a leftist organization pandering, trying to pretend like they're at the forefront of, of doing something right and, and doing something special. But in reality, all it is, is it's an exclusionary practice. And I think they're setting themselves up to get sued here because eventually you're going to get a handful of young people that are either juniors in college or may have graduated that want to work at the Globe. And they're going to need to intern there in order to do that. And they're going to be told, sorry. We're not accepting applicants currently that are Caucasian. And if they come from a family that's well-to-do, especially, they may end up hearing from a lawyer. So I, I, I think it's silly. I think it's foolish. Well, that's it for this week's episode. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can follow me at UFTBJ. You can follow Matt at MattyFeld612. Of course, you can also follow the podcast at Seat. And as I mentioned, we're also on Facebook. And from Matt Feld, I'm John Serenitas. Until next week, peace.